So today I am actually looking at Philippians 4, verse 10 to 20, and it's really entitled, Thank You for Your Gifts. But I added there, P.S., you want to know the secret of contentment? Because this is the really exciting bit in the passage there. The purpose of this passage for Paul is to thank the Philippians for their financial gifts and their faithfulness in, in doing so through many, many years. Finally, they were able to support Paul concretely by sending money with Epaphroditus to Rome. And so Paul has received the gift to travel a long way and finally he's having it here. But it is a remarkable passage because Paul could have just wrote like a little thank you note. Oh, thank you, by the way, it did receive the gift. It's nice of you. But in, instead, it turned out to be such a great insight on what generosity is about. And it reveals so much of Paul's attitude towards money. And how to find the secret of contentment in life, whether we are in poverty or whether we are in abundance. So let's read the text. So I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at, le at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I, I have received to be, sorry, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance, with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me at more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you've sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So let's look at the context a little bit there. What interests me here is Paul's joy here is not in the fact that the money has finally arrived. His joy is in the fact that this gift is a tangible demonstration of their support and concern for him. He now feels tangibly that they are behind him. You know, he might be in hardship and in prison, but he knows that they are with him. His joy is in the fact that even when the going was tough, when he was sharing the gospel, the gospel, this church was incredibly supporting of his mission and what he was doing for God. So he mentions uh, in this passage that previously before, the Philippians had been really generous even when other groups hadn't been. You see, what, what is interesting here is where we spend our money 
does reveal what we value the most. So when the Philippians sent a gift, they showed that they are supporting Paul. They show they are valuing, they are supporting God's mission. And this gift is also creating an obvious heart connection here. Paul is like, it's not about me. It's, I'm not praising you to get some more. I just want to bless you. I want God to honor you. Let him credit you for this. In fact, um, there is like a special blessing for Paul uh, to thank them at the end. You know, he's it, it, saying, my God will supply all your needs. And I looked for the episode. There's not such a thing in the other episodes. It's very speci specific to the Philippians. You are so generous. Oh, my heart feels so connected to you. And I'm, I, I'm just blessing you guys. I am, you know, I'm blessing you. I'm blessing your heart of generosity here. There is a connection through this gift who has been established. I don't know if you have noticed, but often generosity opens door. Often generosity softens hearts. It creates affection. It connects people. Honestly, try it. You know, if you start to give in a mission, people will feel connected to you and you feel connected to them. If you have a hardship at, at work and say somebody is not very kind or not very nice, if you start to give something or show a little kindness, you will see that heart's connection will start to happen. When, you know, I think when you saw in people's dreams, when you saw in people's mission, you, you will see heart's connection arriving. It's so amazing. So what we could see as well appearing in those texts is a couple of key teaching principles on givings. And we can take this from, from the text. It's so valuable for our lives. So first of all, Paul is telling the Philippians, you know, your giving, it's a fragrant sacrifice, which, which is pleasing to God. So we see here, giving is an act of worship. It really is saying, God, I rely on you. I trust you. I trust you with what I've got. And everything is yours. So one, I, I'm not hesitant in my giving. I'm generous. I'm giving. I am trusting you. It's a worship act. It's a worship act. The second thing we can see is that uh, there is a promise associated to it. So when we arrive in verse 19, Paul is declaring this blessing upon, upon them. It's saying, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I mean, I'm blown away by, by the Zoom already because just with even the testimony of Alan, you know, you know about um, the house and the situation where, where, where they are in, everything ties up here. God is saying, you know what? God will meet all your needs. It's important, though, to see that the two are together. There is this context of the Philippians are being generous. That means they have learned to depend on God for what they need. You know, they're not selfish. 
and then expecting God to break through. No, what they, they are is they are connected to God. They have learned to depend on God for what they need. And guess what? God is in there with them. So when we give and when we acknowledge our dependency on God, he looks after us. It's a two-way thing. I mean, I'm pausing here. You know God is good. Sometimes we're not very good at this. And it's still amazingly good and amazingly gracious. It's a journey we are learning here. But there is a principle, there is a godly principle here of sowing and reaping that we often read in Luke, in Luke 6, verse 38, who says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. So with, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There is this thing of, do you know what? I give, I worship God, he's first in my life. And he never, never fails to look after me. It goes together. And in this short chapter, we see this free principle right away. So really, the big things we are learning, and this is my big conclusion for that. We give, because it's good, it's good for us. We give because it's good for us. It's good for our hearts. It connects us to God. It connects us to the mission. And guess what? It connects us to people as well. The other thing we see in the passage, which I find remarkable as a leader, and I think we can all learn from that, is Paul's attitude to money is remarkable. He is not entitled. He is thankful. You know, he is not taking their gift for granted. He does not go, me big apostle, you owe me the support. Give the money to me, guys. It's not his heart at all. He's not using his leadership position to ask for gifts. Actually, he says that he does not desire gifts. So he's keeping his motivation pure. He's not asking for more. He's not trying to manipulate them in any way. He's not using fear. Don't, you better give because otherwise God is not going to bless you. No, it's not there. He's not bribing them into giving. You know, um, if you do this, uh, you will get position, you will get this. No, he's not doing that. Actually, he's reassuring them. He said, you know, it's not about me. I have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Most importantly, he knows to keep the gospel of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus about the gospel is free. That in Matthew 10 verse 8, it does say freely you receive, freely you give. It's really important because, again, we give to God and his mission. We have seen it's excellent for us. It's excellent for our heart. It is our worship. But we do so freely. We do not get manipulated in anything. We do not do it as well out of a bad kind of motivation. We do not buy our status or we're not buying favor from God. We do it because we love him. And Paul's his attitude here is really teaching us so much. And one can wonder, what is Paul's secret? How can he keep a heart so pure? How can he 
keeps his motivation and his desire so pure. Guess what? He has learned a secret. He has learned the secret of contentment. He has learned to be content. So let's look at that a little bit more. He says he has learned to be content, whether he's hungry or in need, whether he's well-fed and in the plenty, in every circumstances, in every situation, he has learned, learned the secret of contentment. And if you read attentively the, the beginning there, he repeats that twice in different ways. I have learned the secret of contentment. The key here is he has learned, he has learned it, he has learned something. You see, I don't think it comes naturally to the human condition to be contented. I think we are naturally dissatisfied because of sin. It is not by chance that the Rolling Stones are singing, I can't get no satisfaction. You know, that's the human heart condition. We want more. We want more comfort. We want less pain. We want, I mean, I think we're naturally envious of others. We compare ourselves easily. We turn to materials rather than spiritual for what we need. We get easily tired, easily hungry. We have needs. But Paul says, I have learned to be content. And what he has learned is the secret of contentment. There is something to discover. There is something worth discovering. I mean, it's not like one of these mystical secrets. It's for everyone, okay? But you can discover it. You have to dig a little to discover that. And he says, you know, whether I am poor or rich, I am satisfied because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The other versions say, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That is the secret of contentment. Now, what do you think the most important bit of this verse is? It's through him. We are not to read the verse I can do all things for him who gives me strength. And often we, we do that. We like pumping ourselves up. I can do all things for him who gives me strength. But actually, you know, a more accurate version probably could be, you know, I can't do anything apart from him. I know in this circumstance, I can't do this. But praise him. He is my strength. And through him, I can do this. I can do everything. You see, our identity, the fact that we can do this, the power, the strength that is coming from me, the identity, the possibility of doing this is through him. So we need to remember that and not fall in the trap of, I know my identity with Christ. I can do this and I'm declaring this and it's going to happen. No, we come to him. We know we are who we are. We know we are son and daughter. So we can eagerly come to the throne of grace. 
we can connect to him and through him, through him, we draw strength. We draw strength. Therefore, we can do this. We can do this. It's intimacy with him that gives our identity and the power to do things. The secret of contentment is to depend on him for everything. Contentment is not having all the things that we want, but it is wanting only what we have. It's been satisfied in having Jesus. It's not itching badly for all the other things. It brings us back to Philippians 3. We are contented when we consider all things lost, but we know we have found a superior hope, a superior treasure in Jesus. We do have other desire and want, but we know they are not the thing that we will draw satisfaction from. We are not drawing our satisfaction or our future satisfaction from those desire. Now, both poverty and wealth are two demanding extremes, and I will explain that. And you know, the love of money is a terrible thing. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And often it leads to destruction, the destruction of our faith. So it is really important to learn the secret of contentment and to run away from the love of money. If we don't learn to be content, when we are poor, we will deal with jealousy and envy, bitterness and resentment. In, you know, poverty can make you driven and even almost like selfly, selfly ambitious in that sense. But if you do not learn to be content when you are wealthy, there are also traps there. You could start to live independently from God. You could start to feel superior. You could become insatiable for more. You could be filled with worry on how to manage your wealth. In any case, the Bible is very clear. It's more difficult when you reach to enter the kingdom of God. And I think it's because it's an issue of pride and self-sufficiency. You can start to stop looking for God in the midst of your blessing. And, you know, as a side note, don't think it will be easier to give when you are richer, because I think it's, it's not true. When you are richer and you're supposed to give more, suddenly it's harder sometimes because you see the chunk and what you could potentially give with that, with that or do with that. Uh, I remember my father used to say that when I was um, quite young and really poor. He, he just really simply said to me, say, you know, if you have little, just give little. Learn to give now because when you will have more, it will be harder to give. And I think it's true. And actually, um, charities will tell you if you want to collect a lot of money, do door knocking in poorer area, working class area will give you. But if you go in rich area, they don't actually give you as much. So I know this is true. We need to learn 
this secret of being content and being generous wherever we are. And we start now sometime when we don't have a lot. You see, the love of money is the opposite of contentment. To be content, you have to be free of the love of money. And it does say that in Hebrew 13 verse 5, because money will never satisfy you. And trust the one, uh, trust one of the richest men in the Old Testament, you know, Solomon, when he wrote in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10, that he considered wealth as vanity. So it's so important that we shy away from the love of money, but we learn to be content. And we learn to be content by depending uh, onto God. So here is the secret of contentment. Give generously because it's good for you. It is good for your heart. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Trust God. It is for you and he will never, never let you down. And he will be the one who satisfies you. You can do all things through him who gives you strength. And the answer is him. He is the secret. He's got this. He's got this. Whatever you're going through, he's got this. We are left again to wonder and marvel at Jesus. How he supplies strength, peace, joy, resources, in times of need. But how he supplies strength, peace, joy, resources in times of plenty? How is our source of satisfaction? How his presence is like nothing else to the point that it is better to be in his exhilarating presence than being drunk on wine? His joy and peace in the midst of the most insane circumstances. And it's not just the financial aspect here. It's all sorts of riches and treasure. Whatever you need, he is here for you. Yeah, we give because we love him. We love his gospel of freedom. We learn to be content in all circumstances because we know he is with us and he will provide for us in our time of need, strength, joy, peace and resources always. Amen.